the children. Some kids, ooh, a cop, you know? But you'd be the first one running to gunfire to protect these kids. Yeah, you know, it's uh, that's always disappointing when you see uh, a, a family and, uh, you know, the, the parent, the grandparent, whoever is uh, talking with the child, ooh, uh, you better behave or I'll tell that cop to come get you. That's, uh, that's not at all the message that, as police officer, uh, you want to convey to a child. Uh, we're, we're not there to come get you. We're there to help you. Uh, and I think that's an important piece of, uh, you know, of society that, uh, that needs to change. That uh, it's kind of, I remember that as I was a child. I mm-hmm. remember my, getting the same message and kind of that uh, uh, healthy respect for law enforcement, but at the same time, a little bit of fear. Yes. And, uh, you know, really trying to uh, change the culture of society to, uh, put children at ease around police officers rather than on edge. Why do you think parents do that and instill that fear in their children? You know, I think it's, it, I think it goes back in just kind of American culture of, of the disciplinarian and, uh, you know, many years ago in law enforcement, that's kind of what law enforcement was viewed at. Although we're not, we're, we're the people who enforce the law and the discipline takes place in the court system. Uh, you know, people had a view of, oh, when the police officer arrests you, puts the handcuffs on you, puts you in jail, that's the punishment. Mm. That's not the punishment. That's, that's just the beginning of the process to, to move someone into, into the court setting for, uh, you know, a judge or a jury of your peers to decide whether or not you were right or wrong. I saw a video and, um, it was actually this morning and it was when all those riots were happening Mm. and some people were, were like, man, you know, giving the cops water because the cops were black, white, Hispanic, all in between. And these people were, you know, fathers, mothers, members of the community, coaches. Right. And, and some of the members like, man, coach, you know, have some water and, Sometimes I forget that aspect, you know. I see a cop in uniform. Heck, the first time I met you, I could talk to anybody, Chief. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could go up, shake anybody's hand, talk to anybody. But first time I met you, that some subconscious fear, intimidation came out of me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, like. Well, I'm a bit of an imposing figure, you know, six, seven, yeah, kind, of a, <laughs> kind of a large guy. So, you know, I have to work extra hard to kind of. Uh, uh, push that, push that uh, away. <laughs> Do you get that a lot? Uh, you know, sometimes it's kind of funny. My my size works uh, in uh, different ways. You know, in, in some instances it works in, in the sense that okay, here's somebody who's here, who's in charge, who's going to take care of the problem, and in others uh, you arrive and the person very much has the opposite of hey, there's the biggest guy in the room. Let me go challenge mm-hmm. that guy. <laughs> yeah. So, it, you know, it, both ways. It works both ways. So I'd like to dig before. You didn't just become chief overnight. Right. Um, in the very beginning, how, how was your upbringing and why did you lean towards law enforcement? And did you have those parents that were like, ooh, there's a cop, you know, you know, he, he's scary or he's going to get you. Yeah, you know, not not necessarily scary. We we had when I was young, uh, we had neighbors who were police officers. My father was a police officer for for a while. That was kind of uh, kind of his dream for a little bit, and realized he wasn't going to be able to support the family, and uh, had to go back and earn money in the oil field. So, <laughs> really, kind of left that dream behind. But 
you know, it was always a healthy respect, I guess. Um, you know, it, uh, it wasn't, uh, necessarily just, uh, just imposing the fear. It was, uh, you know, the, the respect for law for what the, what the officer represents, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the taught a long time ago that, uh, you know, it's not the not the person within the uniform that, that you're showing respect for. It's uh, it's the uniform and what it represents in society. And you know, that was when I was I was pretty young, so uh, kind of made an impression. But uh, uh, yeah, so my my dad was a police officer for for about a year. I remember very vaguely. I was young, uh, but I remember you know that was something he really wanted to do and really enjoyed, but uh, uh, just couldn't feed the family, so I had to move on. Uh, then when my parents got divorced, uh, my stepfather, uh, he was a firefighter, paramedic, uh, so kind of grew up my whole life kind of around that uh, public service, and and uh, my mother was a nurse, so kind of wow. caring for people. Uh, so that was kind of uh, ingrained in me through throughout my life, and uh, it just uh, was something uh, I went to college and thought, you know, I wanted to be a physical therapist. I wanted to do something that made a lot of money, and uh, finally decided that, uh, uh, maybe making a lot of money wasn't what, uh, what I needed to do. Maybe being happy was more important than that. So I deal with a lot of different people, um, in my profession and I've, I've dealt with people who are worth a hundred million dollars sure. and, you know, I'm not saying all of them are this way, but I, I ask them, how does it feel? Do you ever feel like you arrived? How does it feel? They're like, dude, just do what you love. Yeah. And honestly, I get that from from most people who I I aspire to be like, not just financially, but, you know, professionally. Mm-hmm. And most of them just say, just just do what you love. I know it's a cliche, but, yeah. you know, it, interviewing people like you and 120 interviews later, there's a common trend is that you really do have to do what you love. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's kind of the, I think that's kind of the secret of life is, uh, is do what you love because if you're not doing what you enjoy, uh, every day is, uh, every day is a hardship. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a, a dread when you wake up and, uh, I've, I've worked those jobs before where, where it was like, man, I really don't want to go to work and I just don't, I don't have that anymore. My wife asks me all the time, I, I, do you really, do you enjoy going to this? I love it. I love, I really? get drive to work and I'm thinking about the day, thinking about, you know, what, you know, as a police chief now, my thought on the way to work is, you know, what can I do today uh, to make life better for my officers? How do, how can I impact uh, people that work in our agency, the dispatchers, our records technicians, uh, evidence folks, um, how can I impact, you know, what they do that makes it better for them so that they enjoy coming to work and they want to be here? So you started off basically in, in the beginning as a patrol officer, okay. um, bottom of the ranks and worked your way through. You even did some time in a correction facility. No, uh, I, I managed a, a jail part of uh, being the chief of police in Hobbs. We had a city jail, so we had a... Uh, we had a jail that I was uh, responsible okay. for. I had a detention uh, supervisor, kind of a warden type person that r- really was the expert in running that, but it was one of my responsibilities. Uh, how long did, so in that jail, was it, was it a long-term kind of sentence jail or was it like a holding? Yeah, well, no, I mean, it was, uh, it was up to uh, six months, I believe. 180 days was the maximum sentence for the, for the uh, city jail because those were all municipal ordinance violations mm. that folks were in there for. Um, uh, so it, you had, 
you had residents there for for up to 180 days, and some of them, depending on how their sentences uh, were were mandated by the judge, may finish a sentence, walk out, turn right back around, and walk back in and do another 180 days. Really? So, yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting setup in in New Mexico in that <laughs> in that jail. So it. From your point of view, and what is the common trend of somebody who just keeps on coming back, and and why? Because in my mind, I'm like, okay, look, I've I've been there before, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I mean, I wasn't out tagging up anything. I just sure. I, I drank a lot in my day. Sure, um, six years, no beers, almost. But um, with that being said, what is what do you think the mindset is of somebody who just doesn't aspire to change and and just keeps on keeps on messing up? Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think for each individual, it's kind of a it's a different um, motivator in that uh, some people um, the, they just choose that life, and that's that's what they've known. Uh, it may have been what they grew up seeing, and it's just what they've known their whole life. Uh, and others uh, truly uh, intend to do the right, but just something in them, you know. Uh, keeps them in that uh in that spiral whether it's a a chemical dependency or Mm. uh just a a number of things i think that kind of draw people into to that lifestyle that kind of keeps you uh hemmed up all the time are there are there any of these uh inmates that have stood out and you're like man you could have been something or man you can be something if you change uh, you know, I've worked. Uh, I've worked a lot of investigations where I've talked with suspects, interviewed suspects, interrogated suspects, and as I'm talking with them, I, I realize this guy's a whole lot smarter than me. And if they really wow. applied their life, uh, you know, to something positive, they could really be something uh, because uh, some of their uh, some of their schemes uh, become pretty intricate in, in how they're doing them and how they pull them off. And there's a lot of thought that goes into uh, if if they put that much energy uh, into life in a positive way, they'd be extremely successful people. <laughs> Have you ever seen one of these guys turn their lives around and use their wits for good? I, you know, I've I've seen that uh, several times. Uh, it really, uh, uh, I had uh, I had a young lady that I stopped on a traffic stop early one morning, and I, I don't really even know why I remember her because it was very routine. Stopped her. She had some uh, narcotics on her, arrested her. Uh, I remember talking to her about who she was hanging out with and who those people really were and what they were going to have her start doing if mm. she continued in that life. And uh, it was it was probably eight or nine years later I ran into her in the line at the grocery store. She says, do you remember me? And I don't know why, but I did. I mean, I, I probably arrested hundreds of people. I said, yeah, I, rem- I remember you and called her by name. And uh, uh, she said, oh, I've been I've been clean since that day. Uh, she said, I, what you said to me really made an impact. And the things that you said they were going to start making me do, they had already started doing some of that. And I realized that was not the life that I wanted. And uh, it, it was pretty impactful. Uh, it, there's others that... I've seen come out of uh, more of a gang mentality, uh, lifestyle, and uh, you know they they try to you know make those connections with the young folks and try to get them on a straight and narrow. Uh, it's kind of funny. Sometimes those folks go through cycles uh, where where they're, they have the best intention, and they they fall off the wagon and they're oh, back in the life, man. and then then they're back out. So it's uh you know there's 
it's kind of like life. There's different different arrays of folks and that are that are involved in criminal activity and and what they what they do in their lives every day that is normal to them that's uh, abnormal to us have you ever seen um one of these people become a police officer no uh not really uh but usually their background prevents them mm. from from qualifying uh i i've seen uh i've seen people that maybe that i didn't necessarily deal with but uh in fact i've hired people who in their younger years childhood early 20s uh you know made mistakes but you know time what we always tell applicants is you know time and and behavior uh showing a, a consistency of uh of how you're going to live is is kind of what's important to us mm. uh sometimes those folks actually become the best police officers really why they, they recognize the that behavior uh you know i've, I've worked with guys who were you know, dabbled in the drugs in high school and those kind of things, and uh, great narcotics guys because they recognize it. They, the smell, they, the the, the, look. the smell, the look, the oh, did you see that? Uh, yeah, he's he's hiding something. That, that you know, I've done that a hundred times. You know, when I was in high school, oh. I would uh, you know try to this particular body movement or uh, how they hold their hands in their pocket or look away. It's like okay, yeah, I got gotcha. you, and uh, learn a lot from those guys as well. So throughout your twenty plus years of experience. Mm -hmm. Who, what type of background creates the best officer, you think? You know, I don't know. I don't know that you can really uh, um, put on paper or, or say, hey, this is, this is how you create the best officer. And in some instances, uh, it's just something that someone has or the ability to develop, uh, develop it. Really? And, uh, you know, there a lot of a lot of folks go out and they're police officers their whole career. They work hard. They do th good things in their community, uh, uh, or good good police officers. But um, the really the ones that are really good at the job, that are great at the job, uh, they develop that. They work. They challenge themselves. Uh, they they don't rest. Uh, kind of like uh, kind of like what we were talking about a little bit ago. You know, mm -hmm. they love what they do and they want to keep getting better at it. And that's their drive. So not everybody can become an officer. You know, it's something that I've been thinking about. I've been super excited for this interview, yeah. really. And one thing I really wanted to ask is, how do you separate your your family and personal life from what you've seen at work? Because, you know, I used to have this, no, no, I'm going to stick with that question, then I'll go to another <laughs> one. So how do you separate what you've seen that day from home? Everybody handles that a little bit differently. Uh, for me, I internalized a lot of that. Whether that was healthy or not, I don't know. But it was, uh, you know, I kind of dealt with that in my own way, or with the people that I that I worked with or were close to. Uh, kind of funny story. After I retired and been retired for uh, probably not quite a year, uh, maybe five or six months actually, sitting at the dinner table across from my daughter, who's uh, just graduated high school and going to college and she looks across the table at me and she says dad gum dad you're not an asshole anymore <laughs> i was like well i didn't realize i was so obviously i didn't do a great job <laughs> well you know i used to get this so that was going to be my next because yeah. because i got questions upon questions that was going to be my next one so i used to get this have this stigma in my mind about police officers like man look at that entitled jerk right. what why is why is he always man you know 
I walked up to him and or or I passed him on the street and and said hello, 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 you know, non-emotion. Why is he like that? Little did I realize that that guy could have just seen something really traumatic. He could have just gotten out of a, a, a crazy event. He could just be going to something that. And then I'm thinking in my mind, you walk up to a car, you don't know what the hell's gonna happen. Right. You know. You don't know if it's going to be a normal stop. And you see all these videos of cops getting shot, the windows busting out of the vehicles. Well, I mean, you you train the best you can to uh, to keep yourself safe. And uh, sometimes the um, the training that you receive and and how you interact with people uh, can be perceived as as distant or cold or uh, a rude, uh, and you're working, you're, you know, you're running through a hundred things as you're up there at that window. Uh, but the idea for us as a, as an agency now is we, we're working to train our folks to, to engage and recognize, uh, their surroundings. Um, when I first started in law enforcement, it was, it was very much a, uh, you know, you go to training and you leave and you felt like everybody wants to kill me. Everybody, mm. everybody wants to kill And that was kind of the mindset you started operating in. And that's where a lot of those, those, uh, uh, things that public, the public see and interpret came from, uh, I would say over the last, uh, 15 years, uh, as a, as a profession, we've worked very hard to try to overcome that. We've really tried to work and dial in uh, the training to to recognize that, uh, you know, 95% of the people that you come across out there are just going to be people having having a bad day mm. that, that you have to deal with. Uh, but how do you recognize that 5% that, that aren't, that do intend you harm or do intend to to get away, fight, whatever their, whatever their motivation is. Uh, so we've really worked, uh, I think as a profession to try to improve that. And, uh, I think a lot of people, um, you know, we have a citizens police Academy, uh, and I think a lot of people come in with kind of a preconceived notion of what they're going to see. And they're shocked whenever they go through that of, wow, that that's not really what I expected. You know, that that guy really did care. He went and talked to that homeless guy, went and got him water, got him whatever he needed, and got him on his way. Um, where you know that that same contact could go bad, mm. and you know you end up having to arrest that subject. And now, now in today's society, we almost become the villain. It's, oh, yeah, uh, it's been a it's been a strange shift. Yeah, and, and through mainstream <laughs> yeah. media and social media, and and there, gosh, I'll, I'll scroll across something that says how to how to talk to a cop and then like people roll their window down this much you know, right you know like nope nope my lawyer or whatever and you're just like dude i'm just i'm just trying to help you like or i'm just i'm just here to stop is everything okay you know and then and they got different ways to uh object or or talk to a cop and and, and you know social media everybody's got a phone in their pocket yeah. you know and you see that crap and and some people actually listen to it and yeah. and do it and it's not helping anything. No, and and you know there there is a segment of society out there that um, that works to uh, to try to lure a police officer into doing something. Oh, wrong. I've seen that too. And you know we you know we work very hard to uh, train our folks to to work to de-escalate situations when somebody's trying to do that. Try to try to redirect. Uh, the problem is when they're doing that intentionally, it just continues and continues. Uh, we're, we really work to try to 
get our folks to recognize when they're in that situation and at what point they just need to disengage. Um, and it also away. wastes the time of the police officer, of of the professional that could be actually assisting somebody in need. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's that there's that uh, perspective, too, uh, that, uh, you know, you're you're having to deal with these folks who are. Um, who are auditors, as they call themselves. Yeah, and, the police, and, the police people. Right. Yeah. And, you know, uh, not to say that we're we're above any of that, but we as a profession, uh, we probably work as hard or harder to find the officers that are the bad apples and get them out than, than any other profession. Uh, yeah. It, it, just one, one guy can screw it up. Yeah. You know, it, somebody with the phone records mm -hmm. one bad guy like like you see like a marine lose it on base and right. like oh those marines they're all you know right, right. like what the heck dude you know n not all of them are like that um it it's you know after i met you i was like man you know he he's a family man he's and it just really got me thinking um i i've i've met police officers before but but no, it's an honor to meet you. Oh, thank you, Chief. Thank uh, you. Um, I I still have a couple more questions. Sure, yeah, absolutely. A, a big one that I was really going to ask is is the traumatic experiences that officers go through. Mm -hmm. um, is there a this might get a little morbid? Sure. But officers do have PTSD. Yeah, it's uh, it's a real thing. I've I've. Uh I've had experiences with that with officers involved in shootings. Uh, one of one of my really good friends that I worked on a street crimes unit with, uh, he ended up in a in a officer involved shooting, and uh, you know you you look uh, back uh, that was in the early two thousands, uh, and I can't say we were we were cutting edge on on officer wellness back then. Mm. Uh, you know it was still very much a, a uh, tough it up you're okay go back to work. Um, it was just the very beginning of the, Hey, we really need to watch and make sure they're okay. Uh, and really after that incident, uh, you saw him, his, uh, discipline record started piling up. Uh, you saw within a year or so he was divorced, uh, within a few months after that, he no longer worked for the department. He went to work for another department. I uh, got there and, uh, worked there for about a year. Uh, just all the classic signs of, uh, of he was struggling uh, with that incident. Great officer prior to that. Uh, uh, great officer after that just uh, was making some bad decisions, and uh, a lot of that probably due to the stress that he was feeling from from being involved in that incident. Uh, is there anything in place to help officers who are experiencing these these uh, you know stresses, anxieties, and and you know, the aftermath of it all. You know, we're, we're, we're getting better as a profession of creating uh, officer wellness programs. Uh, and wellness is, uh, you know, not just, uh, not just health wellness, uh, uh, mental health wellness as mm. well. Uh, you know, there, we have officers uh, at Kerrville Police Department that, that are trained in critical stress debriefs. Um, uh, when we have a real critical incident, you'll actually see those officers uh, show up on scene and they will, they'll talk to everybody, kind of check on them, see how they're doing. If they recognize someone's struggling, they'll, they'll come to whoever's in command of that scene and say, hey, I think, I think we may have an issue over here with so-and-so. We probably need to get them off scene, get them separated. Uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have seen that happen. It would have very much been, 
bucket up. We Suck got a job up. to do. We got to finish this out. Uh, so I think uh, I think as a profession, we're doing better recognizing that and trying to take care of our people, get them out of those situations when we can, and uh, and give them the follow up help that they need either through peer support or through professional services. So these veteran officers that have been here for, you know, past the ten years that you were talking about. Do they ever give the new officers crap like, you know, ah, oh, it's all fluffed up for you. You get the <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you, you know. hear some of those conversations, yeah. <laughs> so uh, those okay. are those are all cultures that uh, that you're trying to uh trying to separate yourself from. Uh I I would say today probably not as much as 10 years ago. 10 years ago, you know, you'd have really heard that, you know, my generation uh w- would have really uh, given folks a hard time over it. Uh, I think now we're really kind of doing a good job from the very beginning of saying, hey, recognize where you are, recognize what you're feeling, uh, because we've we've seen in in the in the profession of law enforcement, when you don't take care of that, you know, those things come out in in strange ways. Uh, That stress comes out in really strange ways. Why Kerrville? There were 50 other applicants. You made it, but. Why did you choose Kerrville? So that's a very interesting story. I was, uh, after I retired, I really thought I was kind of done with law enforcement. Uh, I really did. I thought that was kind of kind of the end of law enforcement for me. I was going to go start the next chapter of my life. Uh, about eight or nine months into retirement, I was like, I was really missing it. Um, uh, George Floyd happened. I saw the, the real shift in... Um, in the general public's kind of perception of police. Mm. And that really kind of struck a chord with me of, you know, I can't, I can't walk away from a, from a career I love uh, when I still have more to give. So I really started looking for, uh, for jobs. I was really, I was chasing money. I was trying to, to go to the next, next thing and really move into the next uh, agency that would, you know, pay me what I was making or more. And, and I applied and was a finalist at several locations, and none of them really worked out. And I look back and go, man, they weren't supposed to. Um, I was actually here in Kerrville. My dad uh, lives over in Sisterdale. I'd met him for lunch at Buzzy's one day. I'd come in. Yeah. Yeah, hit, hit up <laughs> Buzzy's, and we had left. And we're driving down uh, Sydney Baker, and we're crossing the bridge. And I remember him asking me, he says, you know, if a town like this ever needed chief of police, would you ever consider applying for it? And I was I was looking off that bridge out into Louise Hayes Park, and I was like, "This is gorgeous." Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. I would apply for it. And uh, it was not two weeks later that I saw the job for the Kerrville Police Chief open, and I called my dad. Said, "You're not gonna believe this." That's uh, God. The the uh, the Kerrville Police Chief position is advertised. He said, "Well, are you gonna apply?" I said, "No, I, my application's already in." Uh, within hours of seeing it, I I put everything in, got it all in. And, uh, you know, just, uh, got real lucky because, uh, there was a lot of, there were a lot of very qualified applicants in that process. And I, I just consider myself lucky to have uh, made it to the end and been selected and just, uh, quite a blessing to get to work with the group that's here at this department, very group of very special folks. I've, uh, I've been very, uh, uh, very honored to get to work alongside, uh, everyone here at, uh, at the Kerrville police department. You hear about the brotherhood. That's a that's a big word I hear on every every cop movie. I don't know how, you know how accurate it is, but 
I hear about the Brotherhood all the time. What is the bond like with with this force here in Kerrville? You you have uh, you have some uh, very tight folks. Uh, you know there are, there are things you experience alongside people uh, as a police officer that uh, nobody else is going to experience, even in even in little old Kerrville. Mm. Uh, you know the, the the volume of things may not be what what it is in larger communities, but you still experience the same uh, same incidences, the same type of tragedies. And uh, you kind of experience those together, and that's really kind of what connects you with the guy that you go to shift with every day. You, you sit in briefing with every day, you may grab lunch with them, you know, a couple times a week, and it, it, that's really how those bonds start forming. And it really is, uh, uh, you become, uh, sometimes <laughs> sometimes you spend more time with those folks than you with your family, depending on how your schedule is working Jeez. out. So it's, uh, that's, that stuff just kind of uh, uh, naturally develops. It's weird how us humans are wired. You know, when you go through a traumatic experience with another human being, it it uh it, it brings you closer. Yeah, yeah, it does. I I had uh, I had three officers that uh, that were involved in a shooting in Hobbs, and uh, I remember bringing them into my conference room after that shooting, and uh, I, I told them guys, uh, and and they all kind of worked on different shifts, different assignments. I said, guys, you guys have just experienced something that's going to tie you together for the rest of your lives. Mm. Uh, this this type of experience is something that uh, only the three of you have in common, and and the three of you will share for the rest of your lives. So this is, uh, you know, that that ten seconds worth of incident that happened a few hours ago has uh, has definitely welded your lives together for from here on out, and. Uh, I, a couple of years later, I was talking with one of those guys. He said, "I remember you telling us that. And I didn't really understand what you meant, but I I got it. So, it's a uh, it's a true story. It it happens. <laughs> you're you're a great communicator. Uh, how how important is is just speaking and communicating with another human being in your job? Very, and uh, I, I appreciate you saying that. I feel like communication is something that I struggle with. And right. I, I really have to put a lot of effort into it. I'm I'm naturally a uh, introvert, so really, it's it's something as a police officer I really had to overcome engaging people, talking with people. Uh, it's extremely important. That's, wow. uh, you know, that's one of the things that that I look for in a police officer is someone that uh, that can go out and communicate, that has the ability to. Uh, to have, use good judgment, uh, has good ethics, and can communicate. Uh, those are kind of three of uh, three of several very important uh, aspects that you want to find in in an applicant or in someone who is looking to be a police officer, um, because those are the things that just have to naturally occur in the wild. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed so. with communication, you know, like well, like these situations, is the more I put myself in and not uncomfortable, but just like just out of out of my comfort zone situations the better i get at them and and the better it helps me in everyday life communicating with my family or just my job or um you know th this this podcast and, and meeting a lot of people who make up the city of kerrville um it, it's it's impacted my life yeah. in in a great way really yeah, well, where, where that uncomfortable lives is uh, where growth starts. That's right. So. <laughs> That's right, Chief. Um, I, I'm gonna. So I got two more questions, and sure. I'll, I'll get out of. Here. I'll let you be. Um, so my first question is, 
somebody who wants to be a police officer, whether they're fresh out of high school or whether they're back from the military, um, where do they start? What advice do you have for those guys? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think, uh, one of the things is, uh, is to, to ensure you're, you're somewhat physically fit because you will have to attend an academy and it's very physically, mentally demanding. Mm. So that, that helps in the preparation. Uh, you know, I think now, uh, the, the most important thing is, uh, you know, to locate the, uh, organization that you want to work for, the department you want to work for, uh, do, do some research, study, study the, the organization, make sure it, uh, it fits you. When I do, when I do interviews, the very final hiring part, part of our hiring process before we forward the packet back over to HR and they, they do their thing with it and get people on boarded, uh, is I have an interview and, uh, and I start those interviews the same every time that, uh, you know, it's, there's no real, uh, set set of questions that I'm going to ask the person. I just I just want to get to know them. I want to know who they are. I want them to kind of share with me, you know, what makes them tick. And, uh, and I always tell them, and vice because I want to make sure you're a good fit for my organization, and vice versa. I'm going to give you a chance to ask me questions because uh, I want you to ensure that the organization is a good fit for you as well. We uh, we invest tremendous amount of time, uh, taxpayer money, uh, in hiring someone, training someone, and, and putting them out uh, on the road to be a police officer. And you, you have to have a lot of trust in that person. So uh, that's that's kind of one of the most important parts for me is making sure we're getting the right people for our community. And not everybody makes it, huh? No, I would say, you know, out of, uh, out of 25 applicants, we may have one uh, that makes it through the process that that's comforting uh, yeah yeah it's uh it's uh you know there are a lot of things that are mandated by law there are a lot of things that are mandated through our policy uh and then beyond that you know we're we're looking at uh, every, every aspect of the person's life from their finances to their Whoa, work history to really their, yeah to their uh, yeah absolutely Jeez. we go do, we do do home visits we'll go uh, when you get to a certain point in uh, in the application process an officer will come to your home and, and sit down with you in your home and they're evaluating everything there as well you know they kind of want to see how you're interacting with your family how what your family feels you know are they are they uncomfortable with uh, with a, that officer being there and and, and uh, the process that's going on and uh, you know work to answer any questions that they have uh, so we we dive deep into a person uh, the, by the time we finish you know there's the, the papers that thick and then the, the knowledge that people are uh, walking around with about folks uh, is pretty deep as well uh, we we find skeletons and you know you if if you're upfront about your skeletons that doesn't necessarily disqualify you unless there's a unless there's a law or statute out there that says this disqualifies you uh, as long as we know things on the front end <clears throat> we always our background investigators always tell applicants as long as we know about them on the front end you know we can work through most things uh, if you try to hide something wow. from us or lie about it you're you're done at that point and get caught and that's we lose quite a number of people to um maybe they're not necessarily trying to hide something but they're not Telling trying you. to be forthright about it either yeah. <laughs> so it's uh it's it's a challenge to find uh to find officers in today's day and age there's not a whole lot of people that want to subject themselves to the scrutiny to the hours uh 
uh, to the demands of of the job. Do you think uh, social media and recent events have have a big part of that? Oh, most definitely. I think social media. I think the the media in general has a big hand in uh, in what that looks like and what has become the uh, unfortunate perception of law enforcement to some people in our country. Um, you you don't see the hundreds of thousands or millions of good calls that that, that go on every day. Uh, you see that one every few months mm-hmm. that's just off the rails that you know no department's proud of, no department wants to see it happen, no officer wants to see it happen, and uh, unfortunately that becomes uh, uh, who you are. You take on what happened in Minneapolis or what happened in L.A. Uh, don't know those people, never met them, don't have anything to do with them. Uh, totally different culture in your organization, but uh, but that bleeds over on you, and you have to live with it. <laughs> well, I have nothing but respect for y'all, and you know it. I don't. I don't know if it's always been that way for me, but I have more respect for y'all now, and and a little bit better understanding than I ever have. And I hold y'all with with honor and pride, seeing y'all around the community. Well, thank you. We that, we appreciate that very much. I, we're blessed to uh, to do this in a community like Kerrville. Um, I tell our officers all the time. If this is the only place you've ever worked, you don't understand what it's like outside of this community because this community is so supportive. There is not a day goes by that somebody doesn't pass me and say thank you for your service or or buys my lunch. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, uh, certainly that's not what officers in other parts of the country are experiencing, and we're very blessed to be able to do this job here in this community. Well, tonight when y'all pray, pray for the boys in blue. Um, Oh, my last question, and this is something I ask everybody. Nope, we're out. We're done with questions. Oh, <laughs> no, this question isn't for Chief. It's for it's for Chris. All right. Um, what type of legacy do you want to leave? Um, n- not just as a police officer, and it can be an officer, whatever you want to say. But what type of legacy, looking back on your days here on Earth, did you want to leave? You know, I think I think most people just. Uh, and I think I'm very much like most people. You you just want to do something that that makes a difference. Um, I, it doesn't matter to me whether my name's attached to it or not. I just want something that um, um, people can look at and go, "Wow, that 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 made things better for for our community, uh, for the people that that work at the police department or that I work around." Um, you know, I think those are all important things uh, you know, you, you talk about, uh, legacy with some folks and, uh, they really get tied into, Oh, what have I done? What have I put my fingerprints on? You know, I want to leave my fingerprints on them, but I, I don't care if anybody can, uh, can pull those prints and, and tell who, who's they belong to. Really? <laughs> I think you, I think you're, uh, a whole lot more successful when there is so much, um, uh, impact going on that, that because it's always more than one person can do it's you get more out of out of a group out of a team and uh when when those when those fingerprints are blurred because there's so many people involved those are really the things that that make a difference uh in a community or in a in an organization chief that was very powerful um it, like three percent of the answers have have been that way and they're all from the most prominent people I have on here. 
they're all about being part of something bigger than themselves. And um, that was that was super powerful, especially coming from the chief of police. You know, a lot of people see the uniform and they just put a stigma on you. And uh, y'all are fathers, y'all are brothers, sons, and uh, protectors of the community. And I'm honored to have you on the Curvo podcast. Well, thank you. Appreciate you inviting me. I've, I've had a good time. Good. I appreciate it. All right, Chief. Have a good one. All right, man. Thank you again. Thanks a bunch.